Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast based around the principles of our non-distressed auction model and Australian real estate concepts at work today in the US marketplace. We focus on scripts, dialogues, real situations in negotiation, listing appointments, prospecting, and all concepts to do with real estate. We look forward to being real and rethinking real estate with you. Well, hi there, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. Today, I've got my handy-dandy partner of crime, I guess, uh, Jason Scott. Mate, you've been missing for the last couple of weeks. Where have you been? Well, mate, duty calls. Uh, Duty calls, indeed. Duty calls, indeed. We can't pull Jason away from the most important part, which is putting deals together. And, mate, that's our conversation today. So, um... We're going to uh, so, sort of lean on the comfort of you ultimately, hopefully knowing what you're doing when it comes to uh, to putting a deal together because our topic today that we've been asked multiple times to handle and that's one of the more requested ones when we're not sort of doing a series at this point in time, but one of our more requested podcasts is how do we do a deal when we've only got one buyer that's interested or how do we do an auction when there's only one auction? I know that you did a recent Ask Me Anything session on the hub mm. that uh, a lot of our Harcourts guys were involved in, but... Um, I think that this is a really pertinent point because ultimately the one thing that we need to understand as agents out there in the field is that this is the skill set that you need to get good at, guys, because having more than one buyer in a marketplace that seems to be retracting a tiny bit certainly can ultimately be the case 99.9% of the times in some markets. Mate, in most markets, it's happening all the time. I mean, certainly, you know, you may get a couple of offers over the course of a of a campaign or you know with a traditional listing that that campaign obviously extends out multiple months um you know or one bidder on auction things like that and and not knowing what to do or hitting the panic button or discounting somebody if there's one person interested for auction um is is just unbelievable to me and every market at the moment is facing properties in certain areas or certain property types where they are only seeing one person interested and treating that buyer or that offer and that interest level delicately is so so important and it can be um, the the difference between selling a property or not selling a property. Yeah, but Jace, you've mentioned something there. When it comes to putting a deal together, you've said delicately, but we don't want people to take that out of context in the sense that delicate doesn't mean that you guys don't have a leverage in the situation or in a way that you approach the offer confidently because people can smell that they are the only person in the deal or they can smell desperation from a mile away and that is the first thing that ultimately any buyer's agent will see or any buyer will see is that they have complete control over the deal based on the reactions that they are getting not only from the agent but also from from you know just surroundings based on the pr- principle of levels of follow-up and all of that type of stuff because this is the one thing that we need to sort of look at and what I want to do is I want to get a little bit more structured in the approach so it's not just the chat between you and I. I want to talk about how you handle a situation because guys, when it comes down to it is that most one of the most difficult things to train on and one of the most difficult things that I've ever found to speak on is negotiation because every single individual situation is different. There's a lot of different individual ways that we can obviously put deals together and some of them take, uh, you know, like one of the most common things that people say is, oh, use the takeaway effect. You know, that is just such a cliche in negotiations. I think that the the, the you have to have a process that you tend to try and follow, um, but then you have to be willing to deviate from that process as sort of contradicting as that statement 
development is, is that having a process, but they're not worrying when there is a speed bump because most people, when there is a speed bump, they sort of get a little bit derailed, but we've got to be flexible in the extent. I was talking to the Monarch Beach team this morning, and one of the things that I said is that lean into the discomfort that we are in an imperfect business because I asked the question at the beginning of the day is that, at the beginning of the session is that how many of you wake up in the morning hoping that this is a perfect day and everyone puts a hand up and I'm like well with all due respect please leave real estate because you are going in a business that causes friction day in day out because we do deals yeah there's, okay. no, there's no such thing as a perfect day no there isn't such thing as a perfect day so let's walk let's walk through it mate because what are some of the things that you consider before you respond to an offer um before you look at anything because we're talking about offers where you get an offer in on a property that you know it may even be low or it may be half decent whatever it may be in, in accordance to what the seller's expectations are versus what you believe you could sell the property for and what are the things that you automatically weigh up in that situation when you only have that one good offer and the interest hasn't been great so far, okay, you might have had a lot of showings, you might have had a lot of people through the open houses, whatever it may be, you might have had a lot of those different things. But what are the things that you weigh up when you do a deal, mate? It's interesting. I don't, I don't actually weigh up a whole lot, Ben, because all of those things, all of those showings, you know, that, that's that's all great as potential interest or, or whatever. But, but those buyers have not committed to the property. You know, dealing in the facts, the facts is that you've been on the market for a long period of time. You've had this many open houses, this many showings, but only one person has put pen to paper. Only one person is in a position where they're wanting to purchase your property. So when I say handle that delicately is that that really stems from understanding the seller situation, making sure that the seller handles that delicately, making sure the seller understands the importance of the fact that, hey, good news, we have somebody on the hook right now, okay? Irrespective of price at this particular point is we have somebody, it's decision time. So so is your natural progression to go towards, so what are you? What what is one of the biggest hurdles that you have in place? Because again, probably a loaded question that I, what I'm leading to is that one of the largest hurdles in place is maybe the agent not realizing the weight of what that offer actually is. Is that right? I think that the, the, the biggest hurdle that I face, if I can speak openly, and again, with no disrespect, but but well, or maybe with disrespect, but agents will, you can be on the market for six months with no offers on a property on an overpriced home with an ambitious seller. Um, and then an agent can get an offer for the first time. And one of two things happens, okay, if it's a low offer. Firstly, they get all excited and they give everything away to the buyer. And then we've lost leverage and we've lost some control of that negotiation. Or they discount that potential interest based on their price, based on what the seller, quote unquote, wants to achieve, yeah. right? As opposed to, right, this is the market situation. Guys, I appreciate that you've got interest in the property, okay? I'm going to do my very, very best in communication with the seller to get you a response and also to make sure that you're in the best position to negotiate with this property and also secure the home. Yeah. So to do that, I need to understand a few things. So, so again, Jason, it leads back to the situation of having the auction team involved as a third-party proponent in order to help negotiate that deal because the most unsuccessful auctions that we've ever had within our organisation have been ones that the auction team hasn't been involved in. And as the marketplace is sort of, again, using politically correct terminology has tapered off or normalized, as people like to say, mm. is that it certainly doesn't feel normalized in other places, but in, in some places at the moment, in Southern California anyway, Jason, it feels distressed, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately, in getting the agent to wrap their mind around the fact of how valuable that offer is, is probably your first port of call. So 
Why are we bringing this up, folks, if you're listening in and you're an agent, is because we want you to take every offer seriously. Regardless of whether you believe that it's a low ball or, or it's not, if that offer is a low ball offer, but then it's followed up directly with another offer that's very similar without any influence on price by you if you're running the process perfectly, then that isn't a low ball offer. That quite possibly could be marketplace. So we need to take advantage of the offers that are in front of us because remembering that this is a process to educate your client on market value, if, if nothing else, okay, or it is an opportunity to have a result on that property when you weren't going to get a result on that property traditionally. And I think that you t- the, the key word there is result, Ben. And, and I, and I want to deviate slightly here. And, and I, the, the key point of this, guys, is to get ourselves in a better position to get a deal done. So the deal's the most important thing here. However, getting a result or getting an outcome isn't always a deal. Mm. Or, or what you are able to leverage and utilize an offer for or a conversation with is not always a deal or not always, you know, we're always so focused on the shortcut to is this going to come together or not yeah. as opposed to really pushing it to find out what can I get from, what can we get from this? And can I get my seller into a position? Can I get this buyer up? Can I get this buyer onto another property that I've also got? Can I, can, what can I get from this? What can I use from this? And not in a selfish term, in a beneficial term so that our seller again has all of the information. They take this seriously. You're communicating, not just communicating saying you've yeah, got an offer and it's low, communicating properly. What do you know about that? Have they been cross-qualified? Do you have proof of funds? Mm. Is that a starting offer? Is that their budget? What is their budget? Have they placed offers on other properties? Correct. I mean, there's so many properties out there. Inevitably, they've placed offers on other properties in today's market. There's 100 properties out there for one buyer. Yeah. I mean, come on. So it's, understanding it's finding, that. it's finding that happy medium in the deal as well, mate, is that you've got agents out there from, again, speaking from my own experience with them, is that you've got agents out there that will want to do a deal with inside the hour of getting that offer to see whether or not they can put it together. But then you've got other agents that are happy to take a week and for people to think on of it and have no advantage or no leverage or any of those situations. But guys, the other thing that we've got to take into consideration, if you're not an auction agent and you're listening to this podcast, is what type of leverage are you creating? creating for yourself amongst traditional real estate folks. Because the one thing that you need to understand that if you're a buyer and you're putting an offer in on an auction property prior to auction, you have a, you have a perception that there are 100 people turning up on that property. You can use that perception as a listing agent in order to have leverage. The auction team uses it to have leverage. Leverage is the most important thing here in that sense that ultimately they're putting an offer in because they think that there's going to be more competition come auction day and they're trying to stop that auction. On a traditional mind time, on a traditional list, guys and again being biased is that I've got to be honest I don't understand how you negotiate those deals sometimes well let me give you an example this is a perfect this is a case study that happened to me today okay on a on a uh, agent that remained nameless on a property that remained nameless uh, but it was a property that had been scheduled for auction has been down as an auction um, for the last uh, month or so and it had just recently converted to traditional now uh, we achieved a a really really impressive price point with auction um, the seller took their time to realizing that that was a great offer. Um, by the time that the seller turned around and wanted to accept that offer, that offer had already moved on. Right. And, and, and I'm, I'm talking, it took two weeks. It took way too long. Yep. Now, the agent um, uh, in this situation with regards to the auction conversation, with only one person interested, we had so much leverage in the ability to use auction day, the ability to use the increased volume of interest, yep. people seeing you know everyone else there, so on and so forth. A couple of weeks pass, we go traditional, we get an offer which is about $300,000 lower than our original list price, uh, sorry, uh, than our original offer, and about $400,000 lower than our list price. And the agent called me and said, well, what do I do now as a traditional listing? And it was interesting me asking them, well, what would, what would you do? What, what do you do now? And their only reaction or the only thing they could do was, well, we'll have to count them at 
at the list price or, or whatever it might be. Which in turn loses the buyer. Exactly. And I said, okay, so why are we changing the conversation to be sure you don't have auction data leverage? But hey, we, ha- we did have offers that we can leverage. We did have a higher price point we can leverage. We still had that amount of interest that we can leverage. There are still better conversations that we can have before just the knee-jerk reaction of a lazy counteroffer. Yeah, correct. And, and, and that's where I think people get lost, you know, whether or not there's a deal or not to be done there. But, but why are we just going, no, nope, they're not our buyer, or hey, let's see what we can do with it. Because yep. again, our seller took too long last time. Are we having the conversation to say, guys, don't take too long this time? Yeah, yeah. Well, mate, I think that the thing that we probably need to get a little bit more specific with to make this podcast as beneficial as we possibly can to the listeners is that let's dive into some role-playing here or let's dive into some situations. So for example, an offer comes in on a property where the interest hasn't been ideal. You, you go to the agent, you weigh up the situation, you look at what the seller's expectation are and you already know that versus what the offer is and that all of those things come into context of weighing up where you are you also then want the agent to go back and call through all of the other interest that's been on the property now that's not to say that you're going to rustle up a buyer because you're likely not to because if you are unaware of anybody that's interested in purchasing that property at the point of that offer then there's probably not anyone else that's likely to do so but guys it holds incredible weight when you can go to the seller and you present the offer to them and they say, well, that's really low. And you can say to them, well, guys, we've actually taken this as an opportunity to call back through everybody that's been through the property and ask them whether or not they would be interested because there's an offer on the property that's likely to stop the auction. And ultimately, no one else wants to actually buy your property at this point out of X amount of people that have been through. So our recommendation is whilst this is low, let's see what we can do and work with it in order to get it to a point of acceptance. Now. One of the things that I believe that in the process that we have to do is go back, go to the seller and present the offer before we go back to the buyer. Now, that's not to say is that going back to the buyer, I think there needs to be a phone call to the buyer or the agent before going to the seller where we sort of weigh up the situation. So for example, we're not going to give away that they're the only person interested. We're going to obviously keep this general, but the conversation typically goes along the lines of this. And Jason might add a few things here or correct me if I'm wrong, but ring, ring, ring. Hi there, Mr. Agent or Mr. Buyer. Um, We really thank you very much for your offer at this point prior to auction day. Um, you know, our sellers are very excited about auction day and what possibly it could bring. However, you know, they are open to stopping the auction if in fact there is the right offer at the right terms that ultimately is at the right price for them. Can I get an understanding of your offer at this point? Is this a best and final or is this just the starting offer? Yeah, the, the key thing that you've done there, Ben, the, the first thing to do when speaking to a, to a buyer or, or the agent or whoever the offer came from is, is just discovery. You're on a journey of discovery. Is, is what's their situation? A journey you know? of discovery, guys. I think that's some, some really good gold in this. I think the journey of discovery is so important to understand how to handle your sellers effectively, whether or not you're going to take the educational route with this offer to educate your client on price or whether or not this is an opportunity for a deal. Mate, I, I, I use it to find out how badly they want the property, which then in turn is going to gauge when I come back and speak to them. Yep you know, probably to be slightly politically incorrect, how robust I am or am not depending on the conversations I do or don't need to have. Yeah, you know? Robust means aggressive, how, folks, okay, well, in a polite well, way. Well, how much can I push them? Like, you know, yeah, correct. Is this a price push? Is it a terms push? Is well, Jason, let's, time let's, push? Let's, really, let's really dig deep in this and, and, and talk about the moral compass of which you should be in the direction of is that you represent sellers. 
and you represent your seller in order to make sure that you can give them accurate information so they don't leave money on the table. But the thing that we need to do here, folks, in the journey of discovery to coin the phrase that Jason used, because I think that that really does frame up what you're trying to achieve in the beginning, is that that buyer's agent or buyer is going to say to you is that, well, we're just looking for a counter or, you know, or they're going to tell you it's your best and final or whatever it may be. But guys, don't underestimate what they actually are telling you because they are going to try and set the situation up in order to benefit them in every way, shape or form. And that's where you need to probably go down the lines then in that direct conversation to show them that you're kind of on their side. I know that this is contradicting in the sense, but in order, the best form of negotiation, folks, is leading somebody down a path that they think they're leading you down. Perfect. And I think that if, if, if you if you get on their side or, or, or they take that opinion of you and you're informative and helpful, uh, but also asking a few questions, um, I, I think that if you start to win them over, then you're able to kind of throw them a few questions which will get them off keel. Now, what I mean by that is not many agents out there, again, to speak frankly, ask these kinds of questions. Yeah. And so when you ask these kinds of questions of somebody and you've won them over to a certain extent, yeah. not only are they in a position where they're going to divulge the information, but they also panic. They also don't, you can kind of hear them thinking because they haven't got this question previously. And so when you're asking, you know, about their uh, finance or about properties they've looked at or are they familiar with the auction process and how it works and you're then going, well, we need to do this based on that and so on and so forth, they start to keep talking. And when someone keeps talking, they're giving you more information and you can then use that not only to understand how you need to treat that person, how you need to treat that, that offer as far as the negotiation is concerned, but also, again, you can use that as information for your seller. Mm, correct. And, and it's, either good, accurate, it's either good, accurate information you can use to educate your seller or it's information that leads you to the course of action or the, or, the, or the opinion that this person has really no idea what they are doing. But then you can also get the other ones, the strong, silent type that believe that the first to talk is the loser or whatever it may be. And then you know that these people are going to be incredibly difficult to deal with from that perspective. So they're not going to be the buyer that purchases the property for the highest amount of money. But all of these different things, guys, you've got to keep it this in Context and I wanted to remind you of this. This is in a situation where you have one buyer, one offer, one bidder, whatever it may be. And we'll get through to a couple of more of these as we proceed through this podcast. And it may be longer than just this podcast that we continue talking about this because it is a big topic. Is that at the moment we're only just on the ver- on the journey of discuss- discovery? What did you call it? The journey of discovery, mate. Okay, sure. that's beautiful. There you go. But you know the the the, the thing is is that discovering where these people are at or ultimately will predict and dictate the course that we ultimately pick to move forward from that perspective, guys. So the questions such as, is this a best and final? Or is this a starting offer? Now, they might come up with a smart aleck answer where it might be, well, no, th- th- well, this, you know, we're just waiting for a counter. And then we can obviously not going to tell them that, hey, no, our main objective is not to get them a counter because I believe regardless of traditional or auction, you shouldn't be countering as Jason passionately put before. And you never have to, by the way. The agents think that you have to counter. You never have to counter. Absolutely, guys. Is the countering is the first free action because it's the path of least resistance, guys. We need to actually be working these situations more in the sense that we are going down a direction of ensuring that we understand what the buyer can pay, willing to pay, what they want to pay versus what they would pay, what they want to pay versus what they would pay, folks, is what I said. And that's a very, very clear and decisive conversation in respect 
to price with that agent and where the situation is at. And then we can find some more information. How did you arrive at that price? Okay, how did you arrive at that price? They might have some really relevant comps that we can then use to educate our seller, or they're going to have irrelevant comps that are just absolutely crap. But again, then... you can use with your seller. There's, 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 there's always two sides to that coin. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, there's always fine. two sides to that. But I think also to come back to our original point of all of this, guys, is that you can probably hear in the way that I've got carried away here a little bit in this podcast compared to a few others is that this is such a relevant thing for us right now. It's something that I face every day, if not every hour. Uh, it's circumstances with one bidder auctions or one buyer with one offer with only one person interested in the home, particularly in this market. And That's if correct. you've got more, then it's an easier conversation, but they're still similar conversations. Yep. Now, but the key thing here to tie back down into this is, guys, do not discount... Uh, one offer or one bidder. That's very Make correct. sure that you are leveraging that. Make sure that you're including me in those conversations. Make sure that you are having the questions, asking the questions, going on that journey, journey if you like, and registering those people, okay? Give your, uh, your seller an opportunity to sell on auction day. Finally, before we wrap up, because we had every intention of covering off a lot more in this podcast, but obviously we'll as we get over, carried away, right. this will be part one, folks. We'll move through to part two, and there's quite possibly going to be a part three to this as well in the podcast in the upcoming weeks. But the the thing that I will say, guys, is that in, in this journey, regardless of whether or not you're using Jason or you're not, you should be using Jason if you are part of the Harcourts Network here in the United States. And please make sure that you guys are conferencing into the conversations that he is having. This is not something where we want to make you redundant. We want to make sure that we make ourselves redundant eventually in the way that we approach these situations mm. to ultimately get you better and your skill set better because that only ultimately benefits everybody involved if we can do so. So folks, thanks very much for tuning in today. We look forward to you tuning in to the part two of this episode where we talk further about what are the next steps with that one offer? What are the next steps with that one registered bidder? because they are really great situations to be in because you can give your seller a choice of yes or no. Bingo. Thanks, guys.